Facebook for Thursday, the 15th of July. Randy Coure, this is What's Up the Sports Podcast. If you're downloading this via your podcatcher, hope you're doing well and thank you for the download. On today's episode, we'll take a look at the Euro final, Italy claiming their second Euro championship after outlasting England in penalties. But a lot of the headlines taking place uh, was uh, what took place after uh, the final match. We're over. Uh, we're just over a week away from the opening ceremonies of the Tokyo Olympics. Should we be a week away from the opening ceremonies of the Tokyo Olympics? Japan is now in its reported fourth wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. Where will Masai Ujiri be when the Raptors tip off next season? Tomorrow will be two months since the Raptors last played a game. There's no indication on what Masai's plans will be in rapid fire. Little Vladdy Guerrero earning the MVP for the All-Star Game. Canada's participation with those Olympics, uh, some high-profile athletes and teams are dropping out. And my personal favorite, 20-year-old TikTok media influencers. That and so much more at What's Up Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Joining us today, representing the Black and Yellow in honor of his Pittsburgh Penguins, inching that much closer to his personal return to BMO Field to support our Toronto FC. Tony Antonio is here. Tony, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing great. Thank you. And in the blue, the blue corner, if you will, or shall I say the Azzurri corner, I can imagine he lifted a glass in celebration of his uh, lineage of Italy claiming after claiming the Euro Championships. Dan Legere is back. Dano, how's it going? Ciao, Bello. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, guys, why don't we just uh, get right to it and start with those uh, European championships. Uh, of course, there was a one-year delay, uh, and one of the favorites uh, was Italy. And for the first time since 1968, the Azzurri are on top of Europe. After defeating England in a hostile crowd at Wembley Stadium, that, of course, in penalties. Dan, uh, there's no uh, better person to start off uh, than yourself. Uh, as someone who is of Italian lineage, uh, what did that championship mean to you? Uh, well, thank you, Randy. And you know what? It's, it's funny you uh, you intimated at the top there, or you reminded the audience anyway, that the tournament was delayed by a year. It's funny because if the tournament did go off in 2020, I don't know that we'd be talking about an Italy championship. This is a team that, uh, you know, we talked briefly off the air that's now got a 34-game unbeaten streak under its belt uh, leading up to the tournament and friendlies and qualifying and now in the tournament as well. Um, and you know what? It, it's, it's relieving to, to put it uh, in a way that maybe most Italian fans don't want to admit. But, you know, after losing out on even qualifying for the last World Cup to, you know, gaining 
champions of Europe status now is a relief. There, there was a lot of worry just a few years ago that, uh, you know, Italy soccer wasn't what it was before on the European stage or on the world stage. Uh, there was a, a fear that we lacked the real depth of talent or, uh, you know, stu- superstar making abilities. Uh, and, and this team is, is, is true to that. You know, there's not a superstar on this team. There's a lot of great parts, uh, you know, and like the 2016 that won the World Cup, you know, made up of a, a solid back line, some timely scoring and, you know, solid midfield play. This is what that team was. And they were, and they were great all the way through. Listen, they, it was, it was fun to watch this team. They were, you know, they weren't defense mode first, like, Italy typically is uh, historically in the international play. So they were, they were speedy. They were, you know, quick on the ball. They were making you know, good judgments. They were uh, fun to watch the athletic. And it was uh, it was a really, really fun tournament. And, you know, and it means, it just means that, you know, we can once again, hold our heads high. We speaking on behalf of, I guess, all Italians at this point, um, we can, uh, we can, you know, like I said, sigh or, or breathe that sigh of relief where Italian soccer is alive and well and here to stay and you know it looks like you know under a guy like Mancini and the system he's built and the players that they have now and that are coming up you know we might be contenders for the next uh, few tournaments anyway so it, it's very exciting and it's, it's, it's always good to uh, to come out on top in a situation like that. Yeah, and you mentioned the, that the team uh, didn't have uh, the, the the key player and the recognizable names like uh, the Inzaghi's of the past and Del Piero and uh, Pirlo and, uh, of course, Buffon. Uh, yeah. And uh, it was only, I guess it would be, what, well, 14 years ago, I guess is a long time, especially in a soccer life, but it was yeah. uh, a younger Dan Leggeri who had uh, experienced World Cup 2006. And yeah. uh, if memory serves me correctly, uh, you were probably give or take in your early 20s, you weren't yeah. a father, uh, you know, maybe you had a little bit more piss and vinegar and so on uh, back then. And uh, uh, the World so, Cup is... Were a, we in school then? No, 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 no. So, uh, no, we were in school. We graduated, the three of us oh, in 2004. 2000, sorry. Yeah, 2004. Yeah. My apologies. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. And in those days, I mean, I think I had, uh, well, I was more so into Portugal. And, you know, when I met and married my half Italian wife, yeah, I wasn't really allowed to do that anymore. Uh, No, I wouldn't imagine you would. No, no, no. (laughs) But Dano, I mean, comparing World Cup 2006 to this European Championship of 21, uh, can those two be compared? Um, Yeah, for you personally. Yeah. For you know, well, for me personally, no. Uh, you know, just given who I was at the time, the age I was, uh, I remember very vividly watching the game at a bar on St. Clair in 2006, and uh, and when they when they won on that final kick, just like jumping over the barrier and starting to do this like in Tanatella for the next six hours up and down the street and losing <laughs> friends and making new ones and you know, uh, you know coming across a goat that was painted red, white, and blue, or red, white, <laughs> and, and green, kidding. right? You know, like, like uh, flatbeds up and down the, uh, up and down the road. And it was just, it was a, like, you know, for, for 23 year old me, it was, it was magical. It was, it was a day I'll never forget. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, there was a ton of fun. And I was actually working at Mojo Radio at the time. Mm. So I was on live with Jimmy Koshan at a, uh, 
makeshift guys garage episode that Sunday afternoon singing the Canadian national anthem because uh, I had to pay dues to you know, where I was born rather than where my parents came from. So they gave it to me that way. But, um, you know, this one is, uh, you know, it, it, it's fun for a whole different generation. Uh, again, th this team is different from that one and the buildup is different. So, you know, after a year, especially like we've had, uh, I can imagine that this one probably means more to a lot more people, uh, you know, taking myself out of the equation. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's always fun to watch. We, you know, we have a chuckle in the Italian community how seemingly that market lane in Woodbridge is now the, uh, you know, de facto Rome rather than St. Clair or, or college like it used to be. Not to say that people weren't still on those streets, but Woodbridge really seemed to take over this year and, you know, and, and really um, show that they can party with the best of them. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's all good. It's uh, they're different, but, the same, you know, for uh, for people who are of different generations. Yeah. But I would think that the World Cup always always carries a little bit more weight than the Euro, just because you know teams like Argentina and Brazil are included as well, and it's not just a uh, it's not just limited to European teams. Yeah. Okay. Well, the skill is there, but uh, sorry, the uh, the scope is there, but is the skill there? And Tony, I'd love to get uh, your thoughts on this one, and that obviously the World Cup it touches all corners of the globe. <coughs> Excuse me, South America is what it is and uh, is always a contender. But is a European championship tougher? Is it is it more of a skill level as opposed to a World Cup? What do you think? You know what? That's an interesting question because we, you know, I, I don't think you're wrong if you say the Euro might be harder to win. I think it's tough. I think it's easier now that you've added more teams. To be honest with you, um, I you know when it, when it was 16 teams, you, it was hard not to weed out the week from there. So, um, I you know what for me, no, I think the World Cup is still tougher because you have South American teams that you need to face. Those African teams, man, when they're when they're in the zone and they're playing well, it, that's you know those aren't easy outs either. You know so. Um, I think once upon a time, Europe was a tougher one when there was less teams, but now they're talking about going to 32 teams. And that's, you know, to me, that's insane. You're, you're lessening the, uh, you know, the, the overall quality of the tournament. I thought there was, um, I thought there were some rough games to watch throughout this tournament at times, certain teams, but um, no, I, I'll still take the world cup over. And, and Dan, you nailed, like about three or four hammers down on your points with Italy there. If they were playing last year, they probably wouldn't be winning this Euro. They needed right. another yep. year to get together. I think the, the, the change in style from Mancini is not something you were used to seeing with Italy. Um, you pretty much, you nailed it all. There's nothing for me left to, to analyze when it comes to Italy's. And I've, I've watched Serie A all year because I'm a big AC Milan fan. And so you know, like that Chiesa kid, I noticed him in the first game they played Milan. I remember texting my friend Mario, who's Italian, saying, this guy's unreal. Like, he's he's single-handedly torching AC right now as I'm watching this game. It's driving me crazy. And sure enough, he was, you know. And you're right. They don't have a star, but they have a lot of, you know, talented players. You know, good young players that uh, it should be sustainable going into next year's World Cup. <laughs> next year's World yeah, Cup. Yeah, next year's World Cup, <laughs> exactly. 
Especially in the middle, Tony. Right? You, you have to worry about the defense a little bit. Like, you know, Kalini, Benucci are probably they're, on their way out. They, they, they might make it to the World Cup, but after that, they're probably done. Yeah, but the middle yeah. with Verratti and Jorginho and Chiesa up front, yeah. you know, there's, 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 and Donnarumma now, the probably you know, the, the hottest goalie going in soccer right now, anyway. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's encouraging to know that, um, you know, we may have a, our, our first superstar since, I don't know, Roberto Baggio in the, in the 90s or, maybe Totti or, uh, or Del Piero, but, you know, somebody who can, who can be on the same conversation as maybe a Ronaldo or Messi or uh, Lewandowski or someone like that would be great. You know, uh, actually, well, to that, and sorry to uh, jump in here, but I mean, in terms of a superstar, your first superstar, uh, you know, not that I was overly versed um, uh, and uh, know the Italian team off the back of my hand, but when you mentioned uh, Totti and, uh, and so on, wasn't the superstar Buffon? Uh, well, he was. Uh, no, I'm going to say no. No, uh, he's. Um, I don't know. That's actually a tough one. Can you put him in that, in that sort say, of Schmeichel or uh, you know a, a lawyer Pirlo. conversation? Tony, you so, uh, yeah, Pirlo was really good, but Pirlo was sort of a, he wasn't a flashy enough player to be the uh, you know a, a sort of a global brand my- name. He's my kind of player, so that's the kind of player I like. So, I would, I would have branded him the key guy. I mean, that's why he had the nickname the architect. Yeah. You know, so he was my guy. But yeah, you know what? There wasn't a lot of um, even even that 2016. It was a lot of grit. It was a lot of grinding. This defensive play, like just Canavara was the Ballon d'Or winner that year. You know. Yeah best player in the world you know he was a he was a defensive player so tough to say yeah yeah well uh personally uh this was my first experience uh with uh, my father-in-law being italian uh that european championship really meant a lot to my uh, all of my in-laws and uh you guys saw a couple of uh pictures and videos cool. yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah cool. my uh my 80 year old father-in-law uh the the joy that he had and the joy that my in-laws had uh, when winning uh, the uh, the European Championship. It was really uh, really great to be a part of. And I mean, of course, it being soccer, the the global sport, uh, you know, uh, it just uh, it's really cool to be a part of. And hey, hopefully, uh, Canada, uh, you know, obviously they're not going to be able to win Euro, but uh, if they can uh, make the big party and actually score a goal in World Cup as opposed <laughs> to the shutout in '86, then uh, that would be uh, that would be a great uh, great experience. Uh, you know what it is, too, Randy. You, you sort of intimated it or towards it there, where you know your your your, your elderly in laws. You know, it, it meant a lot to them because I think when it comes to soccer, especially, uh, you know, Italy wants to be the best, especially Italian fans. They 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 hate that we're ranked seventh in the world and, and Belgium is number one. Like it drives them nuts. That especially that that old generation. So if they can't be the best team. They almost don't want to play. It's like everybody sucks, fuck it, whatever. Like I have many friends who are Juve fans and having that conversation with them year after year where it's like, well, they're, they're trash, they're garbage. What's well, like, well, they won, they won the Scudetto like six times in a row or five times in a row. Like they're always that perennial threat in the league. Half the fucking national team comes from Juventus. Like what more do you want from these guys? Because they don't win <laughs> every single time and it drives them mad. So, you know, I, and, and I mentioned it before where it's, it's, it, I think this one, um, you know, means more to certain people because a, you know, seemingly came out of nowhere for a lot of fans. You know, this isn't something that was built up to be 
this juggernaut of a team who was supposed to come in and really dominate the way that they did. They were, they were, you know, they were on the favorites list going in, but, you know, France on paper probably should have won the tournament. Uh, Belgium still has a really great team. Germany kind of disappointed, but they were good. Spain came on really, uh, you know, really good late in the tournament and even England, you know, deserved winner, you know, to to lose in a shootout. If they would have won, I don't think anybody would have been overly surprised. They really came on at the end too. And they've got a whole lot of, you know, different players uh, who aren't familiar to an international audience, you know, like uh, Grealish and, um, you know, even guys like, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. He looks like Eminem. What the hell is his name now? Foden and yeah. So, so they got a, a got a, you know, Eminem. a decent team who's, who's going to, you know, <laughs> going to push for a championship in, in, in Qatar in 22. So, you know, soccer in, in Europe anyway, seems to be uh, alive and well and healthy. And, uh, you know, it was a really exciting tournament, uh, top down. The whole Denmark story was great. Switzerland was great. There were some really great stories in there. And it was, it was, it was a fun month of soccer for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, it was a great segue, uh, Dan, uh, to talk about that English side. And uh, 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 Gareth Southgate uh, obviously had uh, a great uh, debut uh, as uh, English uh, manager for that uh, Euro Championship. Uh, but you know, the the decisions that he did make uh, in that final match uh, was uh, kind of scratched my head. And uh, uh, let's call it what it is. I'm not. Uh, uh, a real savant when it comes to the uh, technical aspect of soccer. Uh, he uh, brought in Rashford and Sancho uh, just before uh, the end of extra time. Uh, he used a 19-year-old kid as the uh, fifth shooter for the penalty. Uh, Tony, I get that this is riddled with hindsight, but uh, how would you rate Southgate's uh, management? Do you think it was over management uh, in that final match, in the championship match? My issue with Southgate was not who he chose to take the penalty kicks. I mean, this, you know, these penalty kicks are, they're predetermined. They practice it during their training sessions. They have a good idea who's going to be taking them in the event that they get there. My problem is playing to get there. You know, I understand certain teams, you know, certain countries, you know, Switzerland, Denmark, maybe they get, late in the game and they're like let's just let's just play this thing out and hope for the best in penalty shots but when you're telling me that this is an unprecedented amount of depth in the history of English soccer you know like you know the English soccer media is much like Toronto's hockey media where you know you hear about all these guys being the next great thing and you know Dan mentioned Foden I mean Phil Foden got his hair bleached before the tournament so he could look like Paul Gascoigne and that's what everybody was talking about and he started the first game and after that crickets you don't know what's going on (laughs) Rashford Grealish was not starting every game Bellingham these are guys I all heard about you know Sancho just sold to Manchester United for 85 million pounds and he didn't get a start until he officially became a Premier League player again after being sold from a German team I don't know why you didn't try and play for the win. You know, at that point, you showed that you can press on Italy. I think they started the game off really well. And then all of a sudden, you decide to bring Rashford and Sancho on just strictly in the last two minutes. for Why not bring them on 20 minutes before that? See if they can push the play. I wasn't seeing much from Kane. I wasn't seeing much from Sterling after that. And Sterling, I think, was England's best player. You know, it's a toss-up. Maybe him, Harry Maguire. 
was really good. And I think give yourself a chance to win the game. If you're that deep, bring players on that can help you try and finish it off. And then if you can just say at the end of the game that I did, you know, I'm not going to question, you know, who you pick for penalty kicks. You know, it was, it's a pressure situation. I get it, but you obviously have confidence in these kids. You gave them the opportunity and it didn't work out for them. And that's unfortunate. And hopefully it doesn't affect their careers. They're young enough when you, you would hope they'll get over it, but no, I'm not going to get into the hindsight. Oh, why did you pick this guy for the penalty kick? But I do have a problem with not trying to play for the win. That when you're that deep, that's that's my only thing. Dana, was that uh, obvious to you? Did you think that uh, Southgate was uh, playing for penalties uh, that uh, they weren't going for it, uh, uh, as Tony uh, alluded to? It seemed that way, especially at the end. It was surprising that, that he didn't make any subs in, in extra time until the very end. Uh, you know, Italy's entire front line, all their all their scores were out of the game at that point. Chiesa was out, Immobile was out, and Insigne were all out. Uh, and, you know, if you look at even who took the penalties, even over the course of the tournament, it's not your striker per se. You know, I think defensemen have a better percentage of actually scoring on penalty shots in that tournament than anybody else. So I'm like, Tony, if, if, you're, if you're, you know, if you want to stay in the game, if you know that at the end that Rashford and Saka are going to be there to be your guys, then let them touch the fucking ball before they get up to, to take a, a spot kick, right? L- let them get a feel for the game. Let them get their blood flowing a little bit. So that seemed like a mismanagement and actually a, a big surprise. I know that he tried to get them on a little bit earlier, but it was still, what, Tony, two, three minutes left in, in extra time. It's like, you know, give them 10, 15 oh, yeah. minutes. Give, was- give them the half. There was one stoppage in play before they actually came on when I thought they were coming on. And they didn't come on. And I'm like thinking to myself, well, like, what is this guy doing? Like the, play for the win. You know, yeah. you're at, you're never going to get a chance again in a major tournament at home in front of thousands, you know, a full house, 90,000 at, at Wembley field to try and push for the win. At least you can tell your fans that, Hey, I went for it. I thought it was way too conservative by the end of the game. And you supposedly have enough talent where you can draw from the bench I, I just don't get it. And, you know, like even with Sterling, you left him on and he never took a penalty. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's leaving Sterling on because he's going to take a penalty. And he never took a penalty. So why, you know, he, I don't know. It's just, I hate that type of managing, especially managing, excuse me, especially when you know you have a team that's supposedly deep enough where you can go two or three players, four players deep in your lineup, you know, but you know, in terms of the actual penalty shot takers, it's not like he turned around and wrote the list down with three minutes left in the game and said, okay, it's going to be this. There's a plan. They know who's taking the shots. That's why they brought on Sancho and Rashford. I'm a Man United fan, so I've watched Rashford be, at times, the primary, uh, primary penalty shot taker for Man United, If you know, before Bruno Fernandes came in or when Paul Pogba's not playing. So I've seen him hit penalty shots, succeed in them. They knocked out PSG in the Champions League two years ago because of his penalty kicks. So it's he's not foreign to it. But you can tell, like you said, not even touching the fucking ball before you get a chance to take a penalty shot. And you saw his approach to that penalty. It, it was like you were watching a guy just frozen. He didn't know. He was confused. You know. And another strategy against a goalie like Donnarumma to me is that you got to drill it. 
like Kane and Maguire, you saw those first two kicks. You can't touch him or go try and – you've got to drill it really hard because he's so tall, so you yeah. give him – you don't give him a chance to stop it when he's going down. It's blown past him already. But, again, easier said than done as we sit here and, you know, I, I'm – yeah, I just – that's the only problem I have. But, you know, I hate the fact that, you know, these kids have the confidence to step up and take that shot and they're going to get ridiculed for it. Um, because, you know, they either miss hit the ball or the goalie stopped it. It's that's how penalties work. It's 50, 50, right? Yeah. And, uh, we'll get to the, uh, the backlash on Twitter in a second, but, uh, after the match, obviously, uh, London and, uh, perhaps the majority of England, uh, were, uh, in, uh, pretty much lockdown, uh, as, uh, hooliganism took over the streets and, uh, you know, the one thing that kind of intrigued me was what would have happened if England uh, maybe lost in the quarterfinals? Are we going to see a rioting there? I mean, that's uh, kind of neither here nor there, but uh, it was it was reported to be a really scary scene uh, after the championship. Uh, Dan, what I was wondering is, is that England uh, reportedly is uh, thinking about uh, uh, putting a bid in together for World Cup 2030. Does instances like this hurt their chances? No. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. It, it, um, I don't think things got as bad as they need to be for people to not consider them. You know, Vancouver will probably get the Olympics again at some point as well so it's it's uh, you know these things are, are blemishes they're unfortunate you know some of the videos of them attacking italian supporters specifically and i'm not saying this as an italian you know i i don't like when when philadelphia eagles fans beat up you know visiting uh, visiting spectators and stuff like that so you know like that stuff is just it's it's, it's that stuff is just so unnecessary so unwarranted that you know it, it it casts a dark shadow but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I remember when, when Tiger Woods, this is a sort of a weird way to draw an analogy, but when Tiger Woods was caught with his laundry list of, of mistresses and it was like, well, yeah, what, how did you expect a, you know, super rich, super young, super good looking athlete to behave? You expected him to be a model citizen. So, you know, when these things happen, it's not that you're surprised that they happen, that like you wish they wouldn't, but you're also like, well, yeah, it's, it's England, and you know, if you expect any sort of hooliganism out of anybody, it's it, it's going to be them. Well, uh, Tony, uh, I was uh, uh, downtown Toronto. I was at Nathan Phillips Square when the Raptors uh, uh, celebrated with their parade. Uh, Nathan Phillips Square was quite the scene. Uh, for those who haven't been uh, to Nathan Phillips Square, you probably saw the uh, the rink uh, during the winter time where there's a uh, uh, about four arcs over the uh, the rink and uh, a number of people were on top of the arcs uh, people were uh, sitting on the Toronto sign uh, the, uh, the the amount of people there was uh, such a swell of extra people in the downtown streets uh, the buses couldn't move and when I was at Nathan Phillips Square and ironically enough uh, there was a shooting at Nathan Phillips Square, and there was a huge set of uh, set of um, uh, like a huge scene of chaos uh, at the uh, back of the uh, other side of the uh, of the uh, the square. I didn't think there was any police presence at all. 
And uh, Tony, obviously, uh, we're over here and England is over there. I mean, but uh, hooliganism in soccer is not a new thing. It happens in Europe all the time. Do you think that England, especially uh, sticking to Euro, should have beefed up uh, like a military presence? Because I Um, think that this, I think... uh, hooliganism i get it that it's a different scene uh soccer in europe but you can't have this kind of uh you can't have that kind of uh, garbage anymore i i don't know like i, I don't know how to answer that because i don't know what the setup was like um prior to the game i read <laughs> i read where some of the security staff at Wembley stadium were letting guys in who didn't have tickets because they were taking money so it, is that you know, is that the government's fault? Is that police's fault? That's, you know, these guys decided to make that decision. Um, I always think that, you know, a small amount of people react the way they do and it ruins it for, you know, the whole lot. And that's, that's generally the way it goes. And I think that's what happened here. Um, You know, when, you know, I don't know how to answer that because I don't know how the setup was, to be honest with you, Randy, but yeah, it's a stain. It's tough that we're sitting here talking about that after um, a great tournament, year after a pandemic. You had a full house at Wembley Stadium, 90,000 people. The atmosphere was, uh, you know, amazing. Um, and a few people who, a small group of people who started drinking probably from seven o'clock in the morning that day. And, and probably just Saturday going. morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Are, you know, we're going to get... Um, the scrutiny from that but i agree with dan um it shouldn't affect if if england goes for a world cup they have a great shot at it for many reasons you know number one is that struck you know infrastructure stadiums and they have everything in place where they don't have to you know spend qatar like money to 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 host it and i don't think they want to go through that again because there's so much scrutiny on, on on qatar anyway so i you know but obviously the next time they've got to be a little more uh, vigilant, like you say, being better prepared for those uh, situations. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, uh, of course, another uh, continental soccer tournament took place on the uh, 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 in uh, South America. Copa America took place. Lionel Messi won his uh, first Copa as a, a member of, as captain of Argentina, as member of Argentina. Uh, he's already known. Sorry, what was that? That's that's like having another that's like having another italian win isn't it then argentina (laughs) it might as well be i was explaining to people that uh, that we have more brazilians on on the italian national team than than one might think but also just a quick aside before we get into the copa america england too i was reading that if without immigration there would only be three players on that team like stones pickford and somebody else who are like english through through. the guys who actually look like they own swastikas at home and stuff like like Harry right. McGuire. <laughs> Harry's got that. Harry's got that like hairdo, like going to the side like Hitler did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, well, but I, I think, well, I mean, hey, look at the look at the 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 top guy for the Canadian national team. Uh, he's from the soccer powerhouse of Liberia. So, yeah. to your point, <laughs> scores speaking hey. of Canada. Hey, three, all right. Three one and, Canada. Uh, Sorry, 3-1 right now? Yeah, 3-1 Canada over Haiti. How many minutes? Uh, they're in the 74th minute now. 74th Kyle, Lauren, Kyle Lauren just scored uh, his second goal of the game. Very good. Very good. Hey, red and white. Sounds... Brent, Brenton's own. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, we will, uh, there is a, a Canada component uh, to the CONCACAF Gold Cup that we'll get to in a second. But uh, Dan, uh, hey, Lionel Messi is uh, one of the top soccer players um, perhaps ever. Uh, what does Copa uh, mean to his legacy? Uh, does it move the needle at all? I don't think so. Maybe in, in, in certain circles, but I don't think globally. I, I don't think it, it, it raises his brand anymore. I don't think it makes... Uh, him regarded as one of the best or you know even pushes him up any notches in that argument um, I think uh, you know him losing out on the World Cup was a big one that one hurt and when they lost to uh, Germany that year Tony nod your head yeah, yeah. That's so, right. uh, you know that, that that was his moment to really solidify goat status um, and I think since then because of his you know him and Ronaldo same thing you know they're sort of steady decline into Retirement, not to say that they're still not great players because they are, but they're obviously not at their peak anymore. Um, and I don't know, to be honest, I didn't watch Copa America, so I don't know if he carried the team like he normally did in tournaments past or if this was a more well-rounded Argentinian team. Uh, but the, the short answer to uh, an already long answer given is, no, I don't think that this increases his stock value at all. Yeah, and uh, Tony, very quickly, I mean, is, I mean, obviously Euro, uh, we had a discussion, uh, well, uh, in the beginning of this podcast of the uh, skill level, is a uh, European championship uh, tougher than a World Cup? But I mean, the World Cup, obviously, its status is what it is. Does winning a World Cup change a status of certain people? I mean, did Griezmann's uh, stock rise so much more because he won a World Cup? Because you see in uh, domestic uh, club sports here, especially in North America, when it comes to uh, a captain of a hockey team or uh, like Alexander Ovechkin, for example, that he was just, he was not in that elite status until the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup. Is that the same thing for for soccer, or could a UEFA Champions uh, Champions League uh, uh, get those players to the uh, to the next level? Well, you just cut you just totally cut into the point there because I've, first of all, I've always thought it was I've always thought it was preposterous that you know you take a player like Messi and you're going to reduce his what he's achieved in his career down to did he win you know, a, something that happens every four years and, you know, you just, there's no control. I mean, we, if you look at it from a North American standpoint, right. I mean, and I know you want me to be quick, so I'll try. It's about the Stanley hey, Cup. The floor is yours. Uh, the, the world is your oyster, especially on this podcast. Right? <laughs> it's about the Stanley cup. It's about the, you know, the NBA title, this and that. And we put so much emphasis on that, even though these players are just ridiculous and great. And sometimes it's a, a matter of circumstances, why they didn't win it. Um, I always believe the great ones eventually win, but I don't think you can judge a guy on his national team output because it's, it's about the club titles, right? So you nailed it with the champions league. He's won a lot of champions league titles. He's won a lot of, uh, uh, you know, La Liga titles. And I think that's what's more important because every four years you're playing with your national team and, there's so many different variables that could happen, but every year you're playing with your club squad and you're striving for success. So I think he was fine. I don't think he needed the Copa. I think he really loved winning the Copa. You can see it in his eye. I watched the game and 
to be honest with you, I was so emotional. And I'm not a messy fan by any stretch, but I was, I was so happy for him. I felt it because it, it felt like a big relief for him. So, you know, from that aspect, from his point of view, that's awesome. For me, he was, you know, he, he was one of the greatest players of all time without winning for his national team. Yep. And I think the international tournaments are a place where guys like Griezmann or even, uh, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are, but Paulo Rossi in the 1982 World Cup. There you go. He was, you know, he was a guy who came in and scored, you know, five, six, seven goals, maybe that tournament and really sort of cemented a name for himself on the international level. But really was like the Paul Henderson of hockey in European soccer, where he didn't do much of anything else. You know, he was he was a decent player. He was obviously good enough to play on the national team, but he was never a star in the in the league. And, you know, and, and that tournament really made him a star. So, uh, you know, guys like Messi, guys like Ronaldo, guys like even Buffon, and maybe that's why I hesitated with that one too, where, you know, they're, they're already so accomplished in their own right, in their own leagues, uh, that the World Cup is, you know, it's just an unfair thing to judge them on because, you know, you almost say, if you don't carry this team, if you don't LeBron this team to the finals, then you're a piece of shit player, which is, isn't true because <laughs> international soccer to it, it's, it's not a good representation. You know, these guys come together pretty quickly and try to make a team game work. Uh, and that's why champions league is regarded more as the, that's where you're going to see the top level soccer being played because, you know, these are the best teams that have been playing for years and years together, rather than, you know, the best guys from any one country. So you know, Tony's Tony's right. Where it's 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 great to see Messi win. You know, it's 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 amazing. It's, I'm sure you know he feels relieved by it as well. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it means anything more to his already great reputation. Well, guys, uh, we're talking so much about international soccer, and I uh, am a real uh, fan, and uh, really hope for the very best when it comes to the men's national team. Of course. Uh, they have uh, not had a great history, and uh, they did have, uh, on paper, a pretty competitive-looking squad. However, uh, their uh, top uh, top gunner, Alfonso Davies, he uh, was out for with an, uh, an ankle injury. And uh, their number two player, if you will, Jonathan David, it's reported that he had skipped the tournament for rest. And uh, that is so he could sort of gear up and recharge his batteries for World Cup qualifying. Um, Tony, as you watch uh, our uh, squad uh, battle Haiti, you mentioned it was 3-1 the last time that uh, uh, you had uh, told us. Uh, Jonathan David skipping out on a continental tournament. Is that the right move? Yes. I'm okay with it. Uh, World Cup qualifying for the World Cup is is so so much more important, and I think these guys played during the cycle prior to the Gold Cup. A couple of months before, they played through the cycle where they played Suriname and Haiti to get to the uh, final eight, and um, I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? Because you know the other top squads in the Gold Cup aren't coming with their best teams either, knowing that. This World Cup qualifying is huge. They have a real chance. I mean, I, we say that a lot, and they've disappointed us many times in the past, but this is the deepest I've ever seen a Canadian squad. This is the most um, focused 
and determined I've ever seen a Canadian squad. And it's not about how they're going to do against the U.S. or Mexico necessarily. Um, my gauge on this team is how they perform against the Costa Ricas, the Hondurases, the Jamaicas, because those are the teams you need to surpass to get into the top three to make the World Cup. So I think that's so important. So if that means resting your, you know, your best striker, do it. If um, Alfonso Davis, Davies, you know, he's injured, unfortunately, but even if he was going to take the time off, I'd be okay with it. Plus you give, um, you know, you've got a lot of good players. I'm watching Kyle Lauren right now. And, and um, the number 11 kid from Wolverhampton, whose name Theo Corbo, uh, he's an up and comer. These guys are going to get getting their opportunities to play and they're, and, and they're playing well. And so I'm okay with it. I don't have a problem with it. We, we should be in that position right now. We shouldn't be forcing these guys to play in this tournament. World Cup should be the, uh, let's not wait till 2026 when we're hosting it and we get in as hosts. Let's, let's try and make it. Well, no, I, I, okay. I agree with that part for sure. My problem is, is that uh, A, the men's national team has zero history and B, well, there could be a, like a, a C example and a D example, but B, I think a tournament like Gold Cup would give the opportunity of uh, working together, uh, finding how the other players tick, like in Osorio to David to Laren to Davies, Cavallini, etc. Like uh, that kind of um, that kind of lead up to uh, World Cup qualifying, I think could only uh, help the team and. Uh, actually, it's funny because I did have a discussion uh, over the weekend with uh, some buddies who were just as uh, versed in soccer as you guys are. And uh, he, uh, Tony, uh, uh, agreed with uh, and had the same sentiment that you did, that uh, obviously the World Cup is more important. But Dan, you know, I think what my problem is, is that especially when it comes to a national squad, there's only... Uh, a shelf life for so long. Like I can remember the star power of Holland, for example, when you had a Bergkamp and Clivert, De Boer, Van de Sar, and uh, yeah, Holland. You know they they didn't really get over the top. Let, uh, take a look at Belgium now. I mean, you had all of those uh, key guys, and I think what the men's national team has done is put all of their eggs in one basket. And who knows what happens if David uh, or any of these guys uh, get injured just before uh, World Cup qualifying? Yeah, I guess that's always an, an inherent risk with this sort of stuff. Uh, and just let me clarify that uh, Canada is not guaranteed, at least not yet, a spot in the 2026 World Cup. They've yet to decide if that's happening or not. But no host team has ever not been granted a spot. So we should get in, but it's no guarantee. Um, and you say Canada, you know, referencing putting all their eggs in one basket, uh, you know, that, how many eggs do they really have? But, you know, genuinely. Um, so I, to be honest, I don't know as much about Canadian soccer as I do European soccer. And that's, uh, and that's on me. So, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, there are, they are making positive strides though in the right direction. And it's not just, you know, in one facet, they seem to be developing better. They seem to be, you know, structuring the organization better in the way that, uh, you know, talent is, uh, is scouted and, 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 and curated and ultimately uh, used in the, 
in the way that they needed to. Um, but I still think, you know, the, the hill is pretty, pretty big. Like, Tony, you mentioned a bunch of good teams right off the top there, Jamaica, Costa Rica. I actually ran into a Costa Rican a couple weeks ago, and I was ignorantly asking him, you know, what was the big moment internationally for Costa Rica on, on the soccer pitch? And he kind of paused and he went, you're Italian, right? I said, yeah. He goes, what the fuck are you talking about? He goes, 2014, we beat you fucking guys. <laughs> like, I completely tuned that out. Yeah, I think they made the quarters, right? I think they yeah, made the quarters. Yeah. So I looked it up. They were in a group with Italy, England, your, uh, Ukraine, and them. And them and uh, Ukraine got through. Italy and England both went out. Yep. So I'm like, yeah, I totally knocked it out. But, but to them, it was a big deal. And then they went on to beat uh, the Netherlands, I think, and somebody else with a, with a really big name. Um, so, so, so these are teams who have been around for decades and have been making strides, you know, maybe up and down and, but, you know, flashes of glory or, uh, you know, making a, a name for them on the world stage, the, the States as well, can't be discounted as, you know, as, as a legitimate soccer player. Uh, so, you know, I, I hope, uh, Canada includes themselves in that group and maybe Tony with what you're saying with the, with the sort of depth that they're, that they're cultivating that maybe this is the time where, you know, you can take a really big step forward and, you know, and, and you know, sort of solidify yourself as belonging in the conversation at the very least. Well, you know what, Dan, I think you just stumbled across my point because, yeah. uh, you know, as, uh, and uh, truthfully, I couldn't remember uh, Costa Rica's uh, success of uh, the World Cup that you referred to, but I went to a Gold Cup match in Toronto when Canada played Costa Rica and seeing Brian Ruiz live and in person, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, just enhances international soccer so much more in this continent. Obviously, we're, uh, North America and CONCACAF is not Europe. But when you have these recognizable names and, uh, you know, uh, let's say, uh, well, Miguel Herrera was, uh, he was a coach of a domestic team, uh, Tony, uh, during Champions League. But I mean, like, remember his theatrics during World Cup uh, uh, Brazil. Yeah. And uh, you think of uh, seeing Michael Bradley in uh, Toronto with USA Colors playing Canada. Like international sports is just so uh, interesting to me because uh, don't uh, Dano, you're obviously of Italian lineage, lineage uh, and you're, you said that you were more enamored with the uh, Italian national uh, soccer side. Let's say Canada and Italy were playing in a hockey game like you would be more versed to the Canadian national team. And, you know, I think it was, I think it's Tony, uh, I think it's a uh, missed opportunity. It's a chance. It's a chance. Like very quickly, uh, Canada won gold cup 2000, but it was nowhere near the map. Now it's getting a little bit more exposure. Let's say that they won a couple of matches, maybe make a semifinal. I think which, it would have been gold. Which I think they have a good chance still to do that here, at least the quarters. Um, but I, you know what? I think you're, I don't know. I think you're overly disappointed about it. I, I was fine with it. I just don't, you know, you, you've got to find that balance and what's more important. Um, you've got to cater to the players too. You know, you've got to understand where they're coming from. Jonathan David plays for a big time club in Europe, the defending French league champions, and they're going to want him there for their training camp. And so you've got to have a give and take. So you, I think there is that understanding. It's different with Canada than it, but even, even players from 
bigger countries. Like if there was a nation's league game going on now in Europe, do you think Cristiano Ronaldo would be playing for Portugal right now at this point after a season and after going through Euro? No, he'd probably be taking it off. He's on vacation. He's on a boat with just underwear on right now. He, he, well, hold on. Uh, and thank you for the, uh, for, for the, uh... no, it's true. Follow him on Instagram. All he does is just have underwear on a boat, uh, making lots of money doing it. But, um, but I mean, like if I, Ronaldo, if Ronaldo was uh, Jonathan David's age, chances are he would have been playing in that match. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, but if he had just finished at, at that age, Ronaldo was still playing high level soccer for man United and then going, and playing for Portugal in the Euro, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think the priority, I, I think it's good to shoot high. World Cup is, should be the number one priority for Canada, and they've got to be, you know, a player like David can come in. He knows who he's playing with. He knows how's, how it's going to work out. He's adapting. He's adapted. Um, I'm not worried about him. I don't worry about him. I like to see younger guys get their chance because you never know when you need him. Because you said injuries could happen, right? Look at Alfonso. Will he be ready for, for the first two games? I mean, apparently he's only out for six weeks, which is, you know, good for the World Cup qualifying um, cycle, the next one that starts the, the final eight. But I, I just, you know, you got when you're this deep, you got to have other guys ready to go too. I think, I think John Herdman's totally fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, so I guess uh, with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, his underwear aside, uh, we'll step aside from soccer and uh, let's talk a little Olympics, guys. I'm, the Olympics Ooh. are set. Uh, well, the opening ceremonies uh, will be next Friday. And uh, the IOC had announced uh, about a week or two ago that there will not be any fans in the stands. And... Look, obviously, uh, this, like the Euro, was supposed to be in 2020. Dan, should have this should this have been postponed again? Uh, apparently, Japan has taken a real step back and regressed in terms of the pandemic. Uh, is there that much harm in waiting another year? In the grand scheme of things, no, there's, there's there's zero harm. I know that you know money's at play here, and that's probably what's driving the decision making. Um, and it's 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 different than you know packing ninety thousand into into Wembley for the final of the Euro, or you know, or, or uh, you know, going to see the Foo Fighters at Madison Square Garden, where you know you're you're getting a bunch of you know for the most part, locals, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there were, you know, visitors from other countries, but, you know, you're, to have an international tournament like this, where, you know, the stars are people from all different points of the globe. It, it just seems, uh, you know, I don't know. Well, uh, like I the, mean, I'm, I'm like wondering, might be, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying the, the risk might potentially outweigh the reward. Um, but I'm a, but I'm an overthinker when it comes to this entire topic and on the side of, uh, you know, erring on the side of, or acting out of an abundance of caution has been my middle name for the past 16 months. So yeah, as, as, as the war rewards in the group, I would say, yeah, just postpone it. Don't risk it unless you, you know, have, uh, you know, you can guarantee the proper safety protocols in place, which we know that you ultimately can't. Um, so it probably would have been better, but I'm my, my gut feeling is that it's going to be fine at the end of the day as well. 
So to recap, uh, have you seen the Foo Fighters live at Madison Square Garden? It sounds like you may have. No, I didn't go, but uh, but they played what a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know, and I, I I'm seeing all kinds of bands come back, especially in the states in different parts. So so oh, okay. that 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 was <laughs> Actually, my only point. Where it's, it's, it's a little bit different from from an international event. Sure, it, sure. It's funny you mentioned that, Dan, because I worked in two. I remember 2011. I worked the Foo Fighters conf, concert. Never had any interest in that time. That's not my not my forte. I fell in love. Like I watched that concert. I thought it was so amazing. So hype. Loved that album. Went and bought the CD the next day. That's right. That's right. The CD. Went and bought it the next day. And it was, I was hooked. I was hooked on that band. But anyway. The hallmark of any good band is is if they're able to play live. Just a quick uh, concert story before we get back. I remember going to the and the Red Hot Chili Peppers when Scott Weiland got out of uh, rehab for the second time, I think. They played at the amphitheater here in Toronto and STP blew everybody away as the opening act and the chili peppers came on and they just stunk. And then since then, I, I, I can't stand them because I know that they're not a good live band, which makes me believe that they're not a good band deep down. They're probably just, you know, have good producers or they're good musically. I'm not an expert like you are, but Foo Fighters seem like a very good live band. Mm. No, they're great. One of the best shows out there. Right on. You know, I, I have never been a music guy. Uh, the uh, one concert that I would really, really love to see is uh, U2. I don't know if they had pa- been past the prime. I worked that one, too. Yeah? How was that? And I'm not a U2 fan at all, but I, it was a good show. It was a very good show. Like, I gave them a lot of credit. Very good show. I'm, I'm not a fan now, still. Like, I still can't do it. But I, I just never got it with the whole... What is it? Is it? It was a good show. Okay. Is it Bono or is it the music? Does Bono give you douche chills with the all his, uh, <laughs> maybe, activism? Maybe. Or... I, did you say douche chills? Douche chills, yes. I, I like that. Gonna, I, that that's going to be in my that. list. Douche I'm chills. I'm going to steal that damn yeah. and start using it now. That's an awesome term. For sure. Chills. I, I can see my, that from Bono. I'll keep that away from you, but I'll use it with people you don't know. Yeah, you, actually, can't use, uh, you can't use the stuff that I arm you with against you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Tony, uh, well, since you were talking about uh, you working concerts and so on, uh, I actually saw uh, Queen with Adam Lambert at uh, oh, ACC. Sorry to hear that. Well, sorry to hear that. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, uh, hey, I'm not, a, I'm not a music guy. And uh, I really liked Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I really, really wasn't into... The music at all uh, of Queen, uh, and then, then I came to realize, oh, they made that song and this song and yeah. another one bites the yeah. dust and so on. And uh, uh, then, that was the same way with Foo Fighters. Like some of the songs that came, I was like, oh, this is their song. I didn't know it was their song. Yeah. And the more the the concert went, yeah, like I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, because it, it's I, awesome. Yeah, because honestly, I I thought Adam Lambert killed it. I thought he was awesome. I think you're only saying that because you weren't a Queen fan going in. Uh, Perhaps, perhaps, (laughs) because, yeah, it was funny because so the wife and I, we saw Bohemian Rhapsody. And then a couple of weeks later, she says, I got a surprise. And I was like, (laughs) what? I got tickets to go see Queen and we're going to go. And I was like, I'm pretty sure Freddie Mercury is still dead. Like, how does how are we going to see Queen? And, uh, 
Yeah, and uh, I thought Adam Lambert fit like Adam, a glove. And those guys, like, they've got to be in their 70s and they can still so, jam like that. And, and you know, and know. Brian May, sorry, Tony, Brian May, the, 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 the guitarist with the, with the big poofy hair, he's the lead yeah. guitarist. Yeah. He's, a, he's a sort of an astrophysicist or some sort of, you know, a chemical engineer. He's like a super bright guy and like super talented on, on the on the guitar and writing a lot of those songs. So, you know, they're again, they're one of those bands where um, – did uh, did uh, what's the name Romy Malik? Did he sing the songs in that movie, or was he lip syncing? Uh, you know, he must have been lip syncing. I think because uh, Jamie Foxx lip synced the uh, songs from Ray, right? Did he? And Joaquin Phoenix sure sang did. the Joaquin Phoenix sang in uh, Walk the Light. So you oh, did know. he really? I didn't know that. I'm, I'm gonna have to check on that, Randy. I I might call bullshit on that because I think Jamie Foxx was talented enough. I think he probably. Would have figured he's a, he's a good singer. Sure, yeah. And I think he would have figured out how to do Ray Charles no problem. Like in like, yeah, know, perhaps I, I could be I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh, I've I should use the word bullshit. I apologize for using the word. It's a little harsh. I'm gonna check you on that. How's okay. that? <laughs> well, uh, hey, uh, I don't know if uh, we want to go back to the Olympics there, but uh, this uh, chat of music, off the rails. yeah, this chat of uh, music has been uh, quite enjoyable for sure. But uh, Tony, I guess we could finish off with this. Uh, you know, truthfully, I was looking forward to Tokyo. I thought it would be a cool spot for the Olympics. You have this world class city. Um, London uh, was uh, really intriguing to me, but uh, with obviously winter winter games, uh, there really isn't a um, you know a, a level of that magnitude. Uh, aside from Vancouver, you had uh, Pyeongchang, you had Sochi, you had these cities that you know nobody really heard of. But Tokyo is not one of those cities, and uh, the fact that uh, this Olympics uh, there's not going to be any fans. Do you think Tokyo? Uh, the IOC is going to give them a redo and maybe say 2032 when we're a couple of years older <laughs> uh, that they're going to get. The I hope so. Back. I hope so because they're victims of circumstances that are completely out of their control. Now, how they've handled the pandemic, that's a different story. That's not for me because I have no clue how they've handled it. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth waves to me, like it's, it could be just fear porn, just catching up and them making a decision. I, you know, um, but yeah, I hope so because they're, they're victims of an unfortunate circumstance. I mean, like you said, Tokyo is a world-class city and I'm sure with fans, it would have been incredible. It sucks that there's no fans. I'm sure they'll pull it off still, but I, I, I would give them another shot. It's nothing they did wrong. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, for sure. And uh, to add uh, you, use the words fear porn yes so, fear porn so okay so we had what was it douche quotes what was it uh, that dano said I, I now i've forgotten it douche chills douche chills excuse me douche chills a little hard off the tongue but uh douche chills and fear porn i'm gonna remember that yeah no i i mean truthfully like i uh I, the amount of money that uh, japan had spent uh, for those facilities and now the world is not going to see it. I, I, I just, uh, to me, I think the Olympics still can be special. Uh, I was really in love with it uh, during uh, Calgary and Seoul and uh, Barcelona. Obviously, Atlanta would have been uh, cool as a teenager to see Toronto uh, host the 96 games. But it just seems that the Olympics 
is just filled with corruption and that look you don't need multi-billion dollar stadiums and facilities to host an olympic games i i had a really good time watching uh the pan am games here in toronto and uh, yeah we did have uh like a really elaborate water uh, uh aquatic center in scarborough i went to uh see a couple of uh, like an event over there i live in milton and the uh, velodrome in toronto for the aquatic uh for the uh uh, uh pan am games uh we're still getting use out of the uh, velodrome uh but the amount of uh, cities and countries that have gone into despair after hosting the olympics athens being one of them it's it's not needed it's uh it's really unfortunate where the uh, olympics have just become what it has been anyway. you'll, you'll never guess what i watched for pan am games i'll give you one guess the first thing i went to see Think about Women's me. Beach volleyball. You got it, Danny. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Beach volleyball players, they it's so do cool. it for me. They're it's too actually, thin. It's actually pretty exciting. Like it's it's continuous action. It's actually pretty good. Okay. And I watched I watched men too. All right. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, I thought we were talking about it because you're a pig, Tony. But I mean, I think beach volleyball would be a lot better, truthfully, if they had three players a team. It just, it, two players is not enough. Like, I I, I think that uh, the game would be a lot more. Uh, three's, three. a, three's a crowd. Three's a yeah, crowd. Perhaps, perhaps. What do I Sometimes. Know? Sometimes. Mm-hmm. I watched soccer out in Hamilton, too, actually. I, I did watch a couple of uh, games out in Hamilton. And you're right. That's, it's cool. But um, it's big money. You know, sports is big money. And. Olympics, but Olympics. Unfortunately uh, for Tokyo, they're not going to reap the benefits of of it uh, by having um, paying customers there. So I don't know how that's going to work out for Tokyo moving forward. Yeah, sure. I mean, hey, I, I, who knows how much money the uh, Tokyo would have made if there was no pandemic and they were able to fill every uh, venue? Because yeah. Olympics, uh, the cities and countries don't really make a heck of a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> I mean, $53 billion uh, for the Sochi Olympics. There's no chance that they made that kind of revenue, not even close. But uh, anyway, guys, hey, let's talk uh, quickly about the NBA. And uh, an announcement has not been made regarding uh, team president, Raptors team president, Masai Ujiri, uh, of course, the architect of the uh, championship uh, squad. Uh Dano, it uh, as mentioned in the beginning, it has been uh, two months since the Raptors last played a game. The fact that he's been uh, uh, that a decision has not been made does that sway your opinion one way or the other? Whether he stays, whether he goes? Um, <clears throat> no, no, I don't. Uh, he's, he's never struck me as a kind of guy who uh, likes to have his thoughts played out in the public forum anyway. Um, unless he's maybe had a few before a playoff game and he doesn't mind speaking his mind to a crowd then. Uh, but generally, you know, he's, he's a, he's a tight lipped guy, likes to keep his, uh, you know, I'm sure he's keeping his options open as well. I would love him for him to stay. I think it's, I think it's a, a great thing for our city really uh, more than anything else to be able to retain this kind of talent or this sort of, you know, uh, you know, person who, who can be, more than just the president of a uh, of a basketball team, you know, he's so much more to the community and to uh, and to the kids and to um, you know 
all the great social responsibility things that you know he's, he's sort of brought on board and, and brought to the forefront uh, as the leader of of that organization. So, um, you know, where he sits now, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what what his offers are to go elsewhere. I don't know what's in his heart and what he might want to do with his life. Um, but I'll tell you what, whether he stays or goes, you know, he's left a lasting impact on this city uh, and one that I hope, you know, other executives from other teams maybe try to replicate or to at least learn from, uh, you know, and carry maybe some of his, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm putting him up on this pedestal now where, you know, he's, he's still a, a flawed human being like the rest of us, you know, he's not an angel, but, you know, he, I, I think he, he did a lot of good in his capacity as president of the Raptors. And, um, you know, I hope he'll stay because it reflects well on, on the city that I live in more than anything else. Yeah, well, you know, and uh, Tony, you think about uh, those guys uh, for the Raptors who uh, made such a lasting impression, not only for the city, but the country. You think of Vince Carter, you think of uh, Kyle Lowry and hey, for that one year, Kawhi Leonard. But uh, Masai Ujiri. You'd have to think that uh, if he was to go, it's going to be felt uh, throughout the entire country. And I mean, I, I can't help but think, let's say that Toronto just made the NBA final against Golden State and lost and still Kawhi uh, leaves town, Danny Green leaves town. I am of the opinion that if Masai was to go, you know, a for effort, but the championship win, you know, uh, set him uh, above. And that if uh, if he did, if he, they did make uh, just the final and uh, lost, that he wouldn't be as uh, missed. You know, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you um, for sure. The championship gives you the club, gives you um, that different level of respect but i i get the sense he's staying honestly like i i i have a i'm I'm just based on what i'm reading what i'm hearing is that you know he's doing the business with uh bobby webster getting ready for the season it's just a matter of announcing his contract now that's i i don't have any sources or anything like that so i don't know for sure um i'm not jim grange or or eric smith but uh i sense he's staying because I'm like, Dan, I think if he doesn't stay with the Raptors, I think there's something bigger out there for him. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he's leaving for another NBA job. I, I think there's something bigger there for Masai Ujiri because he's just such a, a well-rounded individual and he works so much with his Africa uh, charities and, and his, um, the work he does with Africa I think there's something bigger for him. I mean, I heard once that there was an opportunity for him to be working in the UN, you know, it's not something you hear about, you know, general managers of basketball teams, but um, whatever happens, whatever does happen with, with Masai, uh, you'll cherish the time, his time here. He was a guy who went for it and it paid off and you'll never forget it. And I think he has groomed guys in this organization to, to take over. Um, but one, one thing I'm always confident in, in is MLSC going out there and getting the best guy available um, for the job. So I'm not too worried, but yeah, it would like initially it would be a huge hit 
for sure. Yeah, because I, I think what, what I was trying to uh, get at was that let's say that the Raptors uh, didn't win the championship, uh, that Masai traded uh, perhaps the most beloved uh, uh, player uh, in DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard. Uh, and I think especially now that, that uh, if the Raptors didn't win, that that would have been a failure. And that uh, Serge Ibaka left, and uh, I, with hindsight uh, being what it is, that the Raptors perhaps could have re-signed him and could have used him, uh, especially uh, this year, that, yes, he did win the championship, but it was that one, albeit very ballsy move, that did put him over the top. So, uh, obviously, the Raptors with Masai is definitely better without uh, Masai at all. So, uh, it will be interesting. And uh, to your point, Tony, I couldn't agree more that uh, I don't think he's jumping ship for another team, uh, that uh, if uh, he is uh, going to another opportunity, it's going to be outside of basketball and uh, the NBA and uh, perhaps uh, something of an international scope. So, uh guys uh why don't we uh tie a bow on this uh with our rapid fire segment it is uh called big deal no big deal i'm going to give you a question slash scenario and uh you're going to give uh, me your thoughts so i don't really know if you guys are followers of tiktok star addison ray uh she seems to be a lovely young gal, and uh, she was originally hired by the UFC to be a correspondent and uh, took to Twitter and wrote the following. Will tie in, uh, sorry, uh, I studied broadcast journalism in college for three whole months to prepare for this moment. It was that tweet where the UFC told her to take a hike. Uh, uh, I know what Tony's uh, thoughts are on terms of cancel culture, and uh, we'll definitely get his thoughts in a second. But uh, Dano, Addison Ray getting uh, uh, rinsed for uh, that tweet, is that a big deal or no big deal? Am I missing something? Is it, why did she get fired for that tweet? Uh, because there was backlash from uh, whether it was media or from UFC fans. Uh, she posted it. And then UFC, uh, UFC dismissed her. But is the idea that she was making fun of the UFC broadcasters by saying she went to school for three months? I think, uh, who knows? I, I didn't really uh, look into uh, if UFC had uh, written a statement on uh, her firing, but yeah. uh, all evidence points to the fact that she had tweeted. And it seemed like it was uh, a uh, attack on the whole validity of uh, collegiate post-secondary school and journalism and so on. Oh, <laughs> no big deal in my mind. Yeah. Tony, did I, you have I, any comment? I mean, the three, <laughs> hey, the three of us, we, we invested. I know, Sorry. I don't know who that is and I don't care. Um, I, I, you know, I think... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to add to that. Randy, because well, you know what? I, I think they uh, should have never given her a job to begin with. I for for people like us who went to school, you know, and the fact that she gets a job, kind of annoying, isn't it? I think that's exactly but, my point because uh, I took a look, and I know that uh, uh, she's 
known as a social media influencer. And uh, that makes my head hurt just thinking about that title. But yeah, do you guys know how many followers she has on Instagram? Take a guess. Well, if she's considered an influencer, she's she's in the millions. Okay, give it, give me a number. Two? Two million. Dano, give me a number. 27 million. 38.6 million followers. She pretty much has the entire population of Canada as, uh, you know, uh, the amount of people following her. Now, I have never heard of her before, but yeah. I think that for three guys who did uh, invest in a collegiate program to go to journalism, uh, that, yeah, uh, it was an attack on, uh, on the profession. Uh, and whether it was from uh, sour grapes from reporters who, uh, you know, had an axe to grind, or maybe uh, the UFC uh, just, maybe there was something else uh, beyond it. But I, I thought it was really intriguing. In the end, the three of us maybe were too grizzled and uh, bitter in our own lives to worry about some 20 year old kid. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Anyway. She probably did wonders for her. I'm sure she gained all kinds of different followers. Yeah, she probably, yeah, she probably added another 10, 15 million to yeah, her. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> uh, guys, uh, also, uh, Canada's men's basketball team uh, will not be going to Tokyo. They did not qualify uh, for the Olympics. I guess, uh, well, I guess maybe we could tie in the fact that uh, a number of elite uh, tennis players are not going as well. Uh, excuse me, uh, Denis Shapovalov. Uh, Pospisil has uh, withdrawn uh, Bianca Andreescu as well. Um, first, I guess we could talk to basketball. And Tony, uh, obviously there was a lot of hopes, uh, especially from years before of Canada's uh, men's basketball team uh, and uh, the possibility of them uh, having some success like the men's soccer program where uh, they uh, have never really had. Uh, the men's basketball team, not making it to Tokyo, Tony, big deal or no big deal? Well, it's a big deal. Of course it is. Um, I, I've been, I've been hearing about the, you know, the, the quote golden age of Canadian basketball feels like for a decade now. And um, we've been disappointed. I think early on in the stage, it's been more about participation from our better players. It hasn't been there. Um, commitment level wasn't that good. I think now the commitment level seems to be better. I mean, we had RJ Barrett there and, and, and Andrew Wiggins finally played. And I'm pretty sure Jamal Murray and Shea Gilgis Alexander and, and Boucher, these guys were all hurt, if I'm not mistaken. I know Jamal and Boucher were, I'm not sure what Gilgis Alexander, I think he was hurt too. Um, yeah, perhaps, yeah. They, they probably would have been there. You couple the fact with the FIBA schedule is just all over the place. You know, it's one thing I'll, one thing I'll say about FIBA, uh, FIFA, the, the soccer, they, they have set schedules every year. The FIBA, I can't, I, I, I don't get it. I need um, Will Hunting to figure it out on a chalkboard for me. Sorry, what uh, is it you don't get? The FIBA schedule, like how it works. They have different qualifying sessions and this and right. that. So okay, all, gotcha. the place. But where it's devastating the most, guys, is going to be financial because another lost opportunity for solid sponsorship deals for the Canadian basketball team, because they're not making the Olympics again. And it's so important because you want to attract players. You, you got to have some, you know, you got to have some, 
green or you know blues and what's what's the other color on our money you got to have money behind it is what i'm trying <laughs> to say you got to have some some johnny mcdonald's quick before he gets canceled yeah before we get uh yeah canceled as well before right we but get rid of him um and that's i think where it's going to hurt the most and now we got to wait another four years i i don't know what to think of it it's constant letdown and it's disappointing because it like i said i think it felt like um guys were starting to commit more to it i like nick nurse as the choice for for head coach um but i you know regardless of who was there and who wasn't i don't think you should be losing to the czech republic china and um greece you, you shouldn't be losing to the czech republic you, you know there's no excuse you, sh- you should be winning that game and making the olympics so i don't know i don't know what to say i'm, I'm certainly i'm certainly pessimistic yeah, because Daniel, I got to tell you, like, I love basketball and uh, especially obviously since the Raptors came uh, into existence, I was a teenager and have been a Raptors fan ever since, obviously, since day one. Uh, I guess that's one of the reasons why I have uh, an affection. And obviously, the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup will be the greatest day ever. But uh, the fact that uh, 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 Tony and myself, well, the three of us, we got to see the Toronto uh raptors come into existence and rise up same with toronto fc international basketball i gotta say does not do it for me i am now i know that usa have uh, lost a couple of matches uh to nigeria the second one i am blanking on i don't know why australia australia, australia. thank you thank you so but I mean, it's exhibition i'm expecting usa to still dominate by 20 plus points and this tournament, as much as I'd love to see a full squad, including Jamal Murray, Boucher, and the likes, to me, it'll always be uh, a fight for the silver medal. Dan, what are yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, my, my answer was going to be no big deal, but for the same reasons that Tony gave for it to be a big deal, where it, it feels just, you know, they, it feels to me anyway, like they're, they're, they're at a, a real tipping point now where, like Tony said, they've been building this team up for what feels like years on end now of, you know, we're, we're sort of right on that cusp of, you know, right being right next to the States when it comes to international basketball. We've had number one picks coming out of our ass for the past decade. You know, we've had a lot of Canadians doing a lot of great things in the NBA, uh, both on the court and, and, and in coaching and even in management. But then, you know, the international team, it just feels like, well, fuck, if you guys aren't here yet, you know, you, you guys you keep falling back further and further into the um into the ether and and, and, and into you into know you're abyss, not even in the back yeah. of people yeah you're not even in the back of people's minds as something that matters right now uh, and even if they did qualify for the olympics it would be fun and we would cheer them on but it's like you said Randy, it feels like it's a one team sport um and it's just you know we're, we're not we obviously can't compete with uh, with that team um, no matter who they put on the court, and you know, I'm sure that the states will walk away with a, with a gold medal again this year. Um, so it would be nice to see them do better, um, but they've uh, you know disappointed, and you know even the fact that we don't imagine a hockey player like Sidney Crosby said, you know, I'm not committing to the international team or yeah, you know, yeah. It, and it, it, honestly, it, Daniel, that was that was my <laughs> whole. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean that's my whole yeah. point with uh, uh, Canada soccer and uh, especially all the years before uh, with uh, the men's basketball team, like Jamal yeah. McGlore, I always have a bitter taste in my mouth with Jamal McGlore, not uh, investing any time with the uh, national team. 
Yeah, and it's it's but, but that just goes to show that you know the politicians are are known to not move on a subject until the public or, or their voters anyway tells them to move on a subject. So you know, Veep was was uh, was was pretty good in making a few references in their series where you know like this is a really important issue, but only forty percent of the public cares about it, so we're not going to do anything. Uh, yeah. and, and, and Canadian basketball feels like the same way where uh, I think. You know, we're still a hockey nation at the end of the day, uh, but we're, you know, we're, we're gaining in strides and, uh, you know, our, our diversity is only going to push basketball's interests up, I think. And the Raptors winning uh, was great. And, and sure. you know, it was like three steps forward. Qualifying for this Olympics would have been great as well, because we would have had a good team by the time everybody came back healthy. Uh, so, you know, you would have won a game or two and competed and showed some flair, uh, you know, on, on the international scene. So that would have helped as well. But, until, you know, they sort of grab the bull by the horns or these guys decide that, you know, we need to put basketball to the forefront and, you know, and let's challenge hockey uh, as a, sort of a national focus, then I don't know that as much attention, money or effort will be dedicated well, to Canadian basketball. Well, you nailed it. it uh, I'm just sorry. You said about Sidney yeah. Crosby and the lack of commitment from some of our basketball players don't think that money doesn't play a factor. That's why I may, that's why I'm saying this is a devastating hit financially to the program yeah. Yeah. where they could have had some extra and, and it's important to players. There's certain ways they need to be taken care of if they're making that commitment and the funding for hockey Canada is obviously, you know, greater and um, not, not enough going into Canadian basketball and, rightly so uh, show show me you can you know make it to the next level and there's there's companies there are companies sitting there waiting you know what I mean? yeah. they're well not, but they're, hitch their, they're not going to hitch their wagon financially to a, a you know a team that loses to the czech republic in, in victoria bc fails to make the olympics again right and i i don't blame them i wouldn't do if i owned a company i wouldn't do it either well, but, you know, I, I do have to think, and I'd be remiss to say this as well, is that uh, the women's programs for soccer and basketball, that they have uh, the success compared to the men, uh, you know, it's not even close. The women are just killing it. But imagine if Canada's uh, women's soccer team won gold in London, like, uh, the amount of uh, uh, revenue or possibilities, uh, the, the, the more profile that... Sinclair would have had, uh, you know, uh, if uh, she brought home a gold medal. Uh, and uh, with uh, the basketball program, you think of uh, the likes of Kia Nurse and the profile that she has. And there just seems to be a brick wall, maybe in both cases with USA, right? So Well, they, they did well after winning a bronze, but obviously revenue when it comes to men's and women's sports is different. That's a different that's a whole another topic for, for a different show. But sure. Sure. There's no, there's no comparison, but yeah, like the, the Canadian women's did really women, excuse me, did really well just from winning that bronze. And actually Diana Matheson just retired a couple of days ago. She announced it and she scored the winning goal against yeah. uh, France in that bronze medal game, a moment, which is, which was awesome. Cause I was watching it with my daughters. They weren't, they were babies. They weren't really watching it, but sure. I was with them <laughs> watching it. And I felt it was like, it was a cool moment and stuff, but um, yeah, like, unfortunately that's where we are in Canada. We don't have the money the U S does in terms of funding their Olympic sports and their, their amateur sports. So you gotta, you gotta win. You gotta win. 
Yeah, for sure. Hey, Diana Matheson, uh, probably the most important goal in Canadian colors on the uh, on the pitch. But uh, uh, finally, guys, uh, hey, it was quite uh, quite a few couple of days for the Toronto Blue Jays at the Midsummer Classic in Denver. Uh, four uh, players from the uh, Jays uh, made it to Coors Field, and uh, Vladimir Guerrero took the MVP award. Dano. That alone, is that a big deal or no big deal? It's a big enough deal if you uh, if you care. Um, you know, if you follow the sport, it's always fun to see your guy win, like when uh, Vinny Donfus put in four at the All Star game, and there you go with another hot beautiful pull. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's always it's always always great, especially for a kid who's been ours since he was what fourteen years old, and you know has really blossomed into the hitter that everybody was expecting him to be. Um, and he's still only 22 years old. So this is, uh, it's great for the city. It's great for the team. Um, but I don't know if it, it, it strangely feels like he's not ours. If that makes any sense, it feels like it's just inevitable that he's going to leave for, um, you know, for a really big payday when, when his time comes. So maybe, uh, yeah. So it's a big deal in that sense too, where we just gotta have, we have to enjoy this talent uh, that we have on this roster right now. And hopefully they, they, they can fill it out with some uh, relief pitching to, you know, actually win some games, but that's another thing, but, but it is a very big deal. Yeah. I mean, Hey, uh, Tony, there definitely is a disconnect with, especially with uh, the Blue Jays and Toronto FC uh, playing in the States uh, for the past uh, year plus. Uh, and I guess I could uh, appreciate what Dano was saying, but uh can you imagine the kind of payday that Guerrero could potentially have? I mean, just rifling off some of these contracts. Uh, Garrett Cole, nine years, $324 million, an average value of 36 mil. Mike Trout, 12 years, $426 million, $35 million uh, AAV, average, uh, average value. Uh, where was Fernando Tatis? Uh, uh, he is just as young as uh, Guerrero, and he, uh, he hit a big with the... San Diego Padres. Uh, I mean, obviously the Blue Jays, they are owned by uh, one of the most profitable companies in this country. Uh, they could afford them. Uh, Tony, do you think they will uh, uh, pay him, uh, pay him what he's, uh, what he's going to eventually want? Well, the interesting thing is it's at the end of the day, it's up to him and what he signs up because the Jays have so much control over him over the next few years. Um, they can give him like the Ronald Acuna Jr. type contract where it's a long-term deal. It's, you know, it, it's still a, a hefty price, but it's not at that, uh, you know, free agent status level. If he wants to forego a few years of free agency, he can get a great contract with the Jays now. So the Jays are in control of that when it comes to that. But I guess you got to win. If <laughs> you got to find some pitching, if you can find some pitching to match what's going on in the batting order, then I think there is a good chance you can keep um, Vladdy. But uh, I think winning it comes down to winning and uh, trying to balance the whole lineup lineup um, up. But yeah, winning the All Star MVP I guess is cool, but. Um, they should be better than their record, which is what 45 and 42 right now. You know, I just, they've got to find some pitching. Yeah. And uh, for every uh, big payday that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can potentially get, and uh, hopefully it's with the Blue Jays, 
you do have uh, other guys to consider as well, that being Bichette, Simeon, Hernandez, uh, Hinjin Rio has uh, been a pretty good uh, plug for uh, the Jays as well as, and uh, as uh, both of you mentioned, the uh, pitching uh, definitely uh, seems to be, uh, it's uh, obviously a must, especially if this Jays uh, team wants to make it uh, back to where they were in the early 90s. Guys, uh, always uh, the pleasure is mine. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, a great conversation as always. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. And uh, hey, we're that much closer where, uh, Tony, that uh, maybe I'll uh, run into you at BMO Field and hopefully we could coerce Dan to, uh, to joining us as well. Are you a season ticket holder? No, but uh, actually, and uh, this is how uh, crazy uh, my two friends are. So uh, I, uh, uh, Marisa's, uh, my wife's cousins, uh, dear friends of ours, uh, just the two of them, but they have three season seats. So uh, I'm the, uh, I, I get my fair share of tickets. So I'm a pseudo yeah. season seat holder. I just, look, I just got this email from TFC right like five minutes ago. It's for a pre-sale for Wednesday's game. Cause I think Wednesday's game, they're allowing 15,000. So yeah, uh, for Saturday's game, we had to enter a draw. So that's just pick of the draw, but yeah. 15,000. So wait, how many season seat holders are, uh, I don't the think there's 15, I, I'm not sure if there's 15,000 anymore. I mean, once upon a time there used to be, but that's a good question. I have no idea anymore. Hmm. Okay. Dano, uh, hey, uh, you make it to BMO, man, first, and uh, maybe even the second round is on me. We'll have a <laughs> shot of, we'll have a shot of limoncello uh, there, Dano. Yeah, it's got a, <laughs> a question. Can I ask you a question about BMO Field before we go? Yeah, definitely. You know, you know, when the when the Euro Cup is on, or World Cup is on, you know, soccer sort of dominates the conversation. What are the plans in Canada for? Great question. Are well, they uh, you know, Tony, before before players? you answer, if oh, if, I, if I yeah, because actually uh, I went to a uh, uh, soccer, uh, I guess, uh, panel discussion with James Sharman and Christian Jack, Brendan Dunlop. And I asked that very question. What is the soccer infrastructure like? Right. Because uh, like I went to all the Canada World Cup qualifiers uh, for Brazil. Right. So St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia. Nobody Cuba. was there. Right. Yeah. So, but I mean, uh, now Canada has, a, like BMO has a 30,000 seat uh, stadium, 32, I think is uh, BMO, or is it, sorry, 26, I, I'm, I what's the capacity? It, I think it's, uh, I think it's 28,000, but you can, um, you can add seats to it. Yeah, so uh, the first MLS Cup when TFC lost to Seattle, they had the temporary seats for the Centennial Classic and the great cup i think it was and they i think they were able to fit 36,000 mm -hmm. 36,000 permanent seats will be the dumbest uh move ever empty seats yeah. kill a flow right and uh, like i uh, said this on a previous podcast toronto does not need a 70,000 seat stadium they don't oh, it's not going to happen well but hey, I mean, we did have one once upon a time with the Blue Jays when they re, uh, got 52,000. And now uh, Major League Baseball parks are such where it is uh, getting smaller and smaller. Uh, honestly, there are three stadiums in this country that can uh, is, has the capacity for World Cup standards. Those are, that's B BC Place, Commonwealth Stadium, 
and because of size only the big o in montreal i've never been to big o i heard it's a it's a dive it's a pit yeah, uh, you can't host World Cup games at those, uh, at those maybe well, Commonwealth. But again, it's so old. No, maybe yeah. BC Place. I, or BC Place, too, yeah. Well, I'll jump in on you guys right now because both Vancouver and Montreal, like Vancouver initially backed out because they're not going to deal with the financial uh, price tag that comes with trying to, you know, fix BC Place and retrofit the, uh, retrofit the area that is needed to support a world cup game. Montreal backed out a couple of weeks ago. So right now we're down to Toronto and Edmonton. I know that uh, BMO field is going to be expanded to about 45,000. Permanent um, seats for not permanent. Okay. It's, good. It's going to be expanded to 45,000 for, you know, what three or five world cup games. The most, I think we only get 10 altogether. Yeah. So basically there's going to be 10 games split between two cities as of now, unless somebody jumps in and surprises us, but, it's Edmonton and Toronto, guys. That's it. That's the answer uh, for you, Dan. Uh, Commonwealth Stadium is is obviously probably going to be um, slightly fixed somehow. Maybe put a roof on it. I don't know what they're planning there because it could be snowing in July in Edmonton for, for a World Cup game. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, hey, I, I mean, this is an opportunity. Sorry to interrupt, but, I mean, this is an opportunity for Montreal to get a, uh, a, a better park. Uh, I yeah, obviously, I think the three of us uh, would love to see Major League Baseball back in Montreal. And I'm not thinking that, uh, you know, their future baseball team should have a 60,000 seat stadium. But uh, Saputo is a great little park uh, to watch an MLS match. But it's like maybe 20, 22,000. It's nowhere near downtown. It's right yeah. next door to Olympic Stadium. Uh, but uh, I mean, I, I'm not really uh, good with... Uh, where uh landmarks are in montreal i don't know where it is relative to downtown because usually i'm drunk every second i'm in montreal but uh it, it's they- yeah it's it's not downtown it's like a little bit out, not outside i wouldn't say outside but it's it's kind of like uh no it's kind of like a dvp 401 area i guess if uh you want to put it to a toronto standard but uh anyway yeah i'd uh Unfortunately, be, they're still paying for the Olympic Stadium, so that that is. I think they paid that off. I that think it was like twenty minutes ago, but I think they paid disaster. it off. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, World Cup is coming in twenty twenty six. We don't know in which city, and we don't know obviously uh, which teams will uh, be a part of that. Uh, the biggest tournament in the uh, sporting tournament in the world, but uh, hey. Uh, a couple years from now, five years from now, God willing, because, hey, pandemics have uh, delayed uh, the start of uh, major sporting events, events in the past. But uh, 2026 scheduled for the World Cup. That being said, uh, Tony and Tony and Dan Legieri, uh, thank you so much for uh, hopping on once again. And really looking forward to chatting again soon. Anytime. Anytime, Randy. <laughs> Well, and for Tony and Dan, I'm Randy Kure. What's Up the Sports Podcast. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at What's Up Podcast. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.